0: Thank you, worship team. Uh, You may be seated, everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, If you have one, go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. If you need a pencil or one of those uh, inserts in the bulletin, you can raise your hand, and one of our ushers will hand you one as well. Uh, We are in a series looking at a rule of life. Thank you. We're looking at a rule of life, and uh, we've talked that the rule of life is a structure or rhythm for our lives that helps us uh, pay attention to God in everything we do. And so at the core, a rule of life is a what we've been saying, a prayer document, a discernment document to help us remain grounded in God. And today, we're closing our series uh, in our rule of life, and we're going to examine the life of a young man who had a rule of life, and because of it, he was able to flourish in a difficult place. And so if your workplace is a difficult place, if your home is a difficult place, this rule of life we're going to talk about today will help us flourish in those moments. Isaiah, uh, Daniel chapter 6, beginning at verse number 7, hear the word of the Lord. It says, uh, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, my, or your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. bit of context. This is the story that preceded Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Okay, he didn't trip and fall into a lion's den. This is what happened. This is the reason why he went into a lion's den. Verse 8, now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law, Of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when David learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the story goes that Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and you have to read the story to figure out how it ended, right? We're not talking about that today. But we're going to focus here on, on that thing in, yeah, that verse in yellow. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that over the next 30 minutes or so, that you would speak to us very profoundly and deeply through Scripture. And Lord, may we be grounded in you and flourish even in a hostile environment. We offer this time to it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Elie Vassell is uh, one of the most important figures of the 20th century and even the uh, 21st century. He was a Romanian Jew, Jewish man who was uh, the survivor of the Holocaust, where 6 million uh, Jewish people were exterminated. And he wrote a book, and memoir called Night, in which he recounts his experience as a prisoner in a concentration camp. And in this book, he writes about the way Jewish people would observe the Sabbath, even in the Nazi concentration camps. And this is what he said in his memoirs. He said, I remember a Lithuanian preacher, a Majid, which was basically a Jewish kind of traveling preacher an evangelist, who wandered among us every Friday night, accosting everyone with the hint of a smile. Brother Jew, don't forget, it's Shabbat, it's Sabbath. He wanted to remind us that Shabbat reigned over time and the world despite the smoke and stench. Now this preacher realized that in spite of all that he had faced, in spite of the horrors that surrounded him, in spite of the wickedness that would try to crush him, he had a rule of life that would anchor him to God. And while everything would try to sweep him away from God, he remained grounded. And this is what a rule of life is to do in us, is to ground us in God. Or said it this way, a rule of life keeps you from being ruled by life. A rule of life keeps you from being ruled or dominated by life. And so, a rule of life at its core is about ordering your life in such a way that when disorder comes your way, you remain grounded in God. You order your life in such a way that when disorder comes your way, and disorder from time to time will come our way, we remain grounded in God. The reality of life is that life overwhelms us. Disorder comes, problems come, pressures come pain comes. And it is very possible in these moments to be swept away from God. But a rule of life, as we're going to see, helps us to remain anchored and grounded in God. Now, in our text uh, this morning, we meet a young man, a teenager really, in a foreign land, but with a rule of life. And in spite of the pressures that Daniel faced in this hostile environment, he remains grounded in God, and we see that when someone lives an intentionally uh, a rule of life intentionally, this is the kind of life that will follow. The book of Daniel uh, begins uh, in a very terrible way for the people of God, and it's one of the most important books in the Bible because it tells us the story of how someone can flourish in a relationship with God even in a hostile environment. The people of God, uh, after years of disobedience, are taken into exile, taken into a foreign land. A uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies conquered Jerusalem and carried most of the city's inhabitants off as slaves. And one of the inhabitants was a young teenager named Daniel. Daniel is, is taken away, immediately cut off from family, from his teachers, From his friends, I imagine Daniel coming out of school one afternoon, he's about to get into the school bus, and before he can get into the school bus, a Babylonian army just abducts him and takes him into a foreign land. Daniel had no time to say goodbye to his mother, no time to say goodbye to his father, no time to say goodbye to his friends. He and other teenagers and other inhabitants were taken as slaves into a foreign land. And being taken as slaves into a foreign land into this Babylonian captivity meant one thing only, be assimilated or be eliminated. If you were taken into captivity in this way, It was, you are assimilated into our culture, or you will be eliminated. And so Babylon, uh, in order to maintain its power, went after some of the most gifted teenagers of Israel and assimilated them at a very early age. And so Daniel was brought into uh, the Babylonian court of the king and sent to the best university in the Babylonian land. He learned a completely foreign and pagan way of living in the world. They taught him mathematics and medicine and religion and literature. He learned myths and astrology and and, uh, sorcery and magic, all the things that were banned in Israel. Basically, be assimilated or be eliminated. Pagan priests and counselors would educate him and others like Daniel in their wisdom in their religion, and Babylon had, had one goal, and it was to eliminate any distinctiveness of, of, of that Daniel had being a follower of God, a follower of Yahweh, and absorbing him into the values of their culture. Now, as I read uh, Daniel again this past week, in the past couple of weeks, it reminded me of a great novel that I just finished called All the Light We Cannot See. All the Light We Cannot See, in 2015, it won the Pulitzer Prize. And this story, part of the story, a main part of the story, uh, tells uh, uh, the story about a young, a brilliant teenager named Werner. And Werner is a German young man, and he is recruited uh, to be in Hitler's Youth Army. And he was a boy who loved the radios and mechanically uh, fixing things. And someone heard that he had this, uh, this ingenuity, this intelligence, and he was recruited because of his intelligence. And he was and he was made to go into Hitler's youth army. And as I read the book, a fascinating book, that uh, a great book to read, uh, I started to do research on Hitler's youth army after I finished the book. And as I read the book, I, I, I kind of thought this is basically what Hitler's rule of life for his uh, uh, youth army would look like. And basically it looks something like this. At the center of it would be love for the Fuhrer, love for Hitler. This is what all the teenagers would be absorbed into. And In the area of prayer, pray for Hitler. In the area of rest, no one rests. In the area of relationship, hate any race other than your own. In the area of work or mission, train hard milita- militarily to defend the nation. And so in short, this is every young teenager, when they got into this army, basically they were given a rule of life, order your way this way. And so they taught you, they brainwashed them, this is how you should think. This is who you should hate. This is what you should buy. This is who you should hang out with. And this is exactly what Daniel faced. He wasn't in Hitler's uh, youth army, he was in Nebuchadnezzar's youth army. Now, as I thought about this passage and thought about our lives in Queens, New York City, I thought that we've never been in this kind of youth army, but the spirit of this Babylon is very much alive in our culture. As I mentioned, the the spirit of Babylon could be summarized very simply this. Babylon's goal is to pull you away from God. That's Babylon's goal, cut you off from God. Pull you away from Jesus. Absorb you into the values of its culture. And while there might not be a Babylonian army, surely there is a spirit that permeates our world. The apostle Paul in Ephesians called it principalities and powers. Jesus calls it the world or the world system. There's a a spirit in this world that you and I know, uh, know of. That wants to pull you away from Jesus, sweep you away from being grounded in God, assimilate you into the values of its world. Babylonian values. At the core of Babylon's strategy is to strip your identity in God. When Daniel, in Daniel 1, when he gets to Babylon, the first thing they do is they change his name, basically saying, We're giving you a new identity. And in modern-day Babylon in 2016, it all this Babylonian value flows out of where do you identify yourself and how do you identify yourself. In our modern-day Babylon, identity flows, number one, by what you possess. What you possess becomes the, the way that we identify ourselves as people. Go to Times Square for a moment. Our world is, wants to absorb us into its culture, absorb us into its values. What do you have? What do you possess? This is, this is a full frontal attack against us, absorbing us into the values of its culture. The spirit of Babylon, this, this, this Babylonian kind of value system, bases your identity on what you produce, on what you accomplish, on where you went to school, on what you have done with your life. And this is overwhelming. To identify yourself in these categories is overwhelming. As a pastor, I, I experienced this, this Babylonian value system over and over. And you do as well in what your own context. Back in the day when um, before social media. You would read about other churches as a pastor, read about what other churches were doing around the world, and that would be the extent of it. Now, because of social media, it is all over the place what other people are doing in your respective industry. You know what everybody is doing. And as I've been on social media from time to time, uh, I, I sense this pool of Babylonian values pulling me as I think about what other churches are doing. I hear about what other churches are doing in the city. I hear, oh, one church in one day baptized 3,000 people. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> this church did this, and this church did that, and that pastor's doing that. And, and I sense this, this Babylonian pull to do more, to accomplish more, to make a name for myself. This is the way of Babylon. And we have it in our own lives. We see someone in a particular way of life with a particular job, with a house, with some possession, and we say something pulls us. It's this Babylonian value system. And it's overwhelming. You are what you produce. You are what you possess. You are what your wealth says you are. It's overwhelming. I remember when I when I uh, became pastor at New Life, two months into being becoming the lead pastor here, someone sent an email of a church that's new in the city, and within just months they already have more people than what we have at New Life, and they sent it to me and Pete, and Pete very quickly emailed me and said, "Rich, this is the fourth temptation of the wilderness, for you to believe you're not doing right, you're not doing good." I took over two months ago. How come we're not? What's going on here? We all, at some point or another, we feel this pressure, don't we? This overwhelming sense that my identity is based on what I possess. My identity is based on what I do. This is the Babylonian way, identity. The first thing that they do to Daniel is want to give him a new identity. What also, uh, what this Babylonian captivity does for us and to us, it regulates us and forces us into a particular pace of living in the world particular pace of living in the world. This is why uh, one of the reasons I come back to uh, reading people like Henry Nowen and Jean Vanier, who you've heard us quote from time to time, this is why I come back to them, because these men help to ground me in God in the midst of Babylonian value systems. These two men, uh, uh, Henry Nowen and Jean Vanier, spent significant time uh, in communities of mentally handicapped and disabled people, resisting the way of Babylon. Last year, uh, Jean Vanier, uh, he was the one who basically created these communities around the world, 149 communities around the world for mentally disabled uh, men and women. And he created them because he wanted to resist the way of Babylon. And he won last year this Templeton Prize, which was the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for religion. And in this kind of community where there's mentally disabled men and women, you're you're not known based on your accomplishments. In this kind of community, you're not praised because of your level of education. In this kind of community, you're not deemed as special because of your possessions. In this kind of community, the only thing you bring is your broken self. That's all you bring. And you are accepted on the basis of your broken self. And this is why now and when he writes, he spent years in Notre Dame and in Harvard and in Yale, and finally understood this is what community is to be like, where the only thing we are to bring towards one another, especially as the people of God, is our broken self. resisting the way of Babylon. One person, as he received this award, wrote an article about him and said these words. said, in a world obsessed with intellect, reason, power, competition, and a very, very narrow view of success and winning, Vanier and the Arche communities live out a different story. In this community, people are not valued by what they can do or what they know, but simply for who they are. In a culture that tends to live by the slogan, I think, therefore I am, Vanier reminds us that to be is to be loved. But it's hard to live this kind of life. Every time we live our lives basing our identity on what we have done and what we possess, we are being assimilated into the way of Babylon. In addition to this, not only is Babylon, and especially modern-day Babylon, fixated on our identity, modern-day Babylon wants to cut us off from God, cut us off from Jesus by subjecting us to basically an ungodly pace of life. Babylon has one goal, cut you away from Jesus. And as it's been said, the greatest enemy uh, in the spiritual life is exhaustion. Because if you're just exhausted, you will be cut off from God. As it's been said, if the devil can't steal your soul, he'll just make you too busy. Because by default, by your busyness and exhaustion, somehow your soul has been sapped. And so in light of all of this Babylonian pressure, Daniel remains grounded in God, centered in God, rooted in God. And the question is, how does he remain rooted? Because if we can find out how does Daniel remain rooted, we can find out how do we remain rooted as well. When you read Daniel, it seems as if Daniel understood this amazing truth that although Babylon had conquered the city, Babylon could not conquer his soul. Although Babylon conquered the city, Babylon could not conquer his soul. Daniel had such a life with God that he knew that deep down inside, Babylon could not overpower him. He had such a life with God that that whatever directives came from Babylon, Daniel could resist it. And deep down inside, he knew that although Babylon might have conquered his city, Babylon is not greater than God. And and this is the kind of life that God calls us to live. As, As Christians, listen, we don't simply confess that God is with us in Babylon. We also confess that because of Christ, Babylon has no power over us. When Christ died on the cross, minimally two things happened when Christ died on the cross. First of all, he removed the penalty of sin from us. He dies on the cross, we had a debt before God, and he removes the penalty of sin from us. But in addition to that, not only does Jesus remove the penalty of sin, Jesus also removes the power of sin from us as well. And we are to live in this new reality. This is why Paul would say words like this that I was just just flipping over last night, that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, the penalty, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and then here it is, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The the beautiful reality of Christianity. That's a good time to to applause here. The beautiful reality of Christianity in Christ, the penalty that was against you has been wiped clean. No more shame, no more guilt, forgiveness and grace, compassion and love. You would think that would be enough. You would, thank you, Lord. But not only that, he says because of the cross, he has disarmed powers and authorities so that the sin that used to dominate your life doesn't have to dominate you anymore. That the power that used to be be subjected to on the cross has been disarmed and rendered powerless. And so Daniel somehow knew this, that God's power was greater than Babylon's power. And because God lives inside of us, We don't have to be subjected to the power of Babylon's ways. And so because Daniel knew this, and because we know this, because we've read the scriptures, we've encountered Christ, Daniel did not uh, live assimilating to the ways of Babylon. And when you look at chapter 6, the passage we just read, we see how Daniel refused to do it. In chapter 6, there is a new king in Babylon. His name was Darius. And Darius, like Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to be worshipped. And so the leaders of the land uh, put out an order that everyone is to bow to this king and not pray to any other god. And if someone prayed to another god, that person would be thrown into the lion's den. And so Daniel, at this point, he is a leader in this Babylonian empire. He's a significant leader in this empire now. And the first thing he does after hearing this Is he goes to his apartment on Queens Boulevard and he opens the window. The one by the fire escape, he just opens that one right there. And he starts praying three times a day. Now, you have to know that when Daniel did this, he wasn't just trying to rebel against the king at that moment for saying that. What we see is that this is something that Daniel has done throughout his life. In verse 10, it says, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. This is this is the way that Daniel has been living for a significant amount of time. The question is, why did he have this rule of life? Why did he have this rhythm of prayer? And the reason why is because uh, Daniel was resisting the powers of Babylon. And Daniel knew that if he did not have a clear An intentional way of ordering his life, he would so easily be absorbed in Babylonian values. There was no church services for Daniel. Daniel could not come on a Sunday and hear a message preached and and then go back to work on Monday and say, that's exactly what he. there was no church service. There was no small groups that they could study the Bible together. Daniel was in a foreign land and yet even though he was in a foreign land, He ordered his life in such a way to show that his ultimate allegiance was to God, but not only to show that his allegiance was before God. Daniel did it because he knew if if he did not do that, he would very easily be absorbed into Babylonian values. And so he had a rule of life that anchored him. And when we see it in this way, a rule of life doesn't just become for us a prayer document or a discernment document. It becomes a resistance document. It becomes a way of resisting the ways that modern-day Babylon would try to absorb you into its culture, absorb you into its spirit. It's a way of ordering our lives that says, I refuse to let my life be swept away. It's about resistance, resistance. One of the biggest challenges that uh, the church faces is very simple. The challenge is this, that there are too many instances where you cannot distinguish the church from the world. There tends to be very little resistance that comes out from large portions of the church. Now, we might believe different things from the world theologically, but the way that we live many times, you can't distinguish who's a Christian and who's not. The church tends to be as violent as the world, doing it many times in Jesus' name. We deal with conflict very, in a very similar way than the world deals with conflict. We just use religious language to dress it up. As it's been said, uh, Christians don't gossip. We just share prayer requests. That's sinking for a moment, just, gotta pray for Johnny. Let me tell you what happened. (laughs) And Susie too, Allah, did you hear what happened? Oh, let me break it down, and then we'll pray. (laughs) We spent 25 minutes talking about Johnny and Susie, and then we prayed for like two minutes for them, you know, just like... We manage our money much like the world. The integration of sexuality and spirituality looks very much like the world. And Jesus says, we are to be in the world, but not be of the world. And so this rule of life really is a resistance document that anchors us, grounds us when the spirit of Babylon in our culture, in our city, would try to sweep us away from God. And so this is what I want. Daniel had a rule of life. And what I want to do is I want to show you my rule of life. And really, the, the invitation is that this week, uh, if you have not done so already, that you would take time to be with God and to, and to form what a rule of life looks like for you to keep you grounded in God. It's an intentional way of being in the world, an intentional way of ordering. You're ordering your life so that when disorder comes, you remain grounded in God. It keeps you, a rule of life keeps you from being ruled by life. This is all that we're talking about. And the reality is you're going to be pulled away from time to time. Every day from time to time you might be pulled away. But this rule of life, when it becomes more than just something on a page, when it becomes something that's embodied in you, grounds you in God. And so on the screen in a moment, you're going to see uh, the four areas, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And you're going to see uh, some of the font in yellow. And when, I, when you see font in yellow, that's basically uh, my invitation to is that. This would, this would be part of all of our rule of life, all of us in this room, that we're not just doing this on an individual basis, that at New Life Fellowship we're saying, yes, this is the kind of life that we're going to have to be grounded in God. But then you're going to see some text written in, in white. And every person, you were uniquely created by God. Uniquely, there are certain things that give you life and connect you to God that might not connect somebody else to God. And so you want to be paying attention to that, and you want to add that to your rule of life as well. The rule of life, as we've been talking about it, centers around the love of God, giving, get, receiving and giving the love of God. And so it's important that before we do this, that we know that you living out your rule of life doesn't secure for you the love of God. You've already received the love of God in Christ. The rule of life is a way of of expressing the love that you've already received in Christ. And so in the first area in prayer, my prayer is that this would be part of our rule of life, that we would have daily offices, which basically means it's our language at New Life, to say that we're having a rhythm of prayer every day, praying two to three times a day. And we've talked at length about how um, unrealistic it is to believe that you praying one time a day will ground you in God. We talked about it, that you pray in the morning with your cup of coffee, filled with God. And then after work, filled with another spirit, all right? Just to say this way. You started off with God and the end of the day, not so much. And we believe over and over that if I just prayed one time a day, I'd be grounded in God. What we're saying is that's totally insufficient. What we need is a rhythm of prayer, stopping and pausing. This is one of the things that Christians, we would learn well from Muslims and learn well from Jewish community. I remember going to Sesame Place, and I was at Sesame Place, about to get on a water slide. And I saw doing Ramadan. A Muslim man just take a middle of Sesame Place. Big Bird just passed by, and the man just put the mat down and began to pray. And I thought, this man can, can just get down and pray. It, I was so convicted with my shorts on and everything like that, my trunks and everything. I was just so convicted. This man got down and prayed, and I thought, we can learn something. That if you think you praying one time a day is gonna be is gonna keep you grounded in God, it's an illusion. And we've all experienced it. And so, Lord, would you teach us to pause during the course of the day, whether it's five minutes, where we just pause to remember you. Regular reading of Scripture, part of our, our 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 rule of life as a church family together. That we spend time in Scripture. And not just just scrolling through scripture like we're on Facebook or Twitter. We take time to to ingest scripture. We learn the story of the Bible. We are memorizing those words of scripture. You know, the psalm says, you know, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the kind of life that God is calling us to, a love for scripture. Two to five minutes of silence a day. Two to five minutes of silence a day in a very noisy culture, in a very noisy environment. The other day, I was home with, with with my two children. Rosie had to run some errands. I was home with my two children, overwhelmed by how much they wanted and, and icees and juice boxes and chicken nuggets, and, and I'm going crazy, and, and Rosie, when are you coming back? And, and she's not responding to my text messages on purpose, and, and, and when are you coming back? And she gets back in, and, and, and I've come to a point, and this is my prayer, and, and I thank God for the culture of new life and, and how Pete has, has uh, mentored me in this. I've come to a point in my spirituality where in the Psalms, David says, my bones cry out for you, my bones, you know, like my body, that there are times where if I don't get to God, I feel not just my spirit anymore, it's my body now, and so she comes home, three, four hours later than when she said she was gonna come home. <laughs> said something about traffic. <laughs> but you were two blocks down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets home and, and I don't wanna go to my lobby in the apartment complex, and so people wanna talk to me. And so I said, what do I, need? and I, said, I just gotta go in the car so i went in the car and, and sat in the car and just for 10 minutes my body just needed to, to be not do anything be in the presence of god and my 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 soul my body has now become accustomed to pausing two and three times a day and i don't pause cuz i'm so uh, i'm so holy i pause because i'm so weak that i need god pausing to Uh, to five minutes of silence, an overnight retreat for me. I just need uh, on a rhythm quarterly to just get overnight and be alone with God. In the area of rest, I talk about Sabbath, Sabbath grounding you in God, that when your entire week has been about nonstop working and being swept away from Jesus. The Sabbath reminds us that our identity is not based on what we produce. Our identity is based on who we are in relationship with, with God. And so we pause for 24 hours. My prayer is that as a rule of life, we would do it as a, as a church together. That we have play and recreation built into our lives. That we learn how to play, learn about recreation. That we eliminate hurry from our lives. For some of you, uh, whether it's playing music or the arts, God has created you in such a way that when you do certain activities, you come alive. And for many of us, however God created you, you have not been living that kind of life. You've been overwhelmed with so much to do. A rule of life says, no, we're going to be grounded in how God created me to live. Resting, delighting, eliminating hurry. For us, you know, being proactive with vacations has become like a delight for us now. Thinking six, seven, eight months before we even go on vacation as a family has really done a lot for our lives with God and our lives with each other. Relationships. And the area of relationships, this is what we see in yellow, is really what we're called to be together as the, as the family of God at New Life Fellowship, that we learn about emotionally healthy skills. We learn how to listen deeply to one another. We learn how to speak to the two s- simplest tasks that children learn. But as adults, we need to learn over and over, how do we listen to one another and how do we speak? that we live out of and lead out of our our married lives, that our married lives takes priority, that our singleness takes priority, that we're living out of these places. That as a community, if you're part of New Life Fellowship, your task is to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. That when you hear about injustice, we just don't uh, stop at sympathy, but we enter into solidarity. We just don't send the card. We enter into the, the struggle racially, culturally, economically. That to be part of the life fellowship, this is, this is part of our rule of life. For me, I put that in terms of relationships, one of the things, and this is not an exhaustive list. I, every year I want to train preachers and equip preachers in relationships and, and, and disciple uh, emerging leaders in our church family, our rule of life. And then finally here, in our work or in our mission, that together as a church family, we, we cultivate generosity together. That as part of your rule of life, you're thinking through your money. You're thinking through generosity. You're thinking about tithing 10%, offering a portion to God. We're remembering the poor as the people of God here, as Red preached about last week. That whether it's through volunteering or, or whether it's through getting involved in activities that, uh, that to, to, to come against the oppression of the poor, and marginalized as part of our rule of life. We point people to Jesus as part of our rule of life. That we are looking in a, on a week-to-week basis. God has already deposited seeds of his grace in people's lives around us. And our job is essentially harvest what God has already deposited in people, pointing people to Jesus. And all of us, as part of our rule of life, we're in full-time ministry, every one of us. At New Life, we don't say, I can't wait to quit my job so I can go into full-time ministry. That's not how everyone, teacher, lawyer, business person, stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, sanitation worker, therapist, all of us are in full-time ministry. And when we live this kind of life, the reality is Babylon will try to sweep you away from God And day to day we might be swept away, but a rule of life, when it becomes something that we live and embody, grounds us back in God. When the pressures and the pain and the problems would try to sweep us away. Daniel prayed three times a day. In the midst of immense pressure. He was being grounded in God. And this is the kind of life that God is inviting us to live as well. And so I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want you to just take out that, if you haven't already done so, to take out that insert. And I want to just give you just a minute right now. Maybe um, I'll, I'll, for those of you last service, they were trying to copy all of this, I'll put it online, all right, and just um, Facebook and all that there. I didn't get all the, no, I'll put it online there, don't worry about it. But maybe there's something from there today that you sense God tugging your heart at today in one of those areas. And maybe you just want to write it down, and later in this week, take time with God to think through how have you uniquely made me, and how do I now with the rest of our church family begin to order our lives in this way so that when disorder comes, we remain grounded in God. And so just take a minute, and maybe you want to write something now, maybe you want to take out your phone and put some notes down, and then we're going to close our time with communion. And I want to invite those that are going to be offering communion to come to their respective tables down below here and in the balcony let's just take a moment which is part of our community rule of life. But every month, as a family of God here, we take bread and we dip it in a cup, being reminded of the story of the gospel that Jesus Christ was broken for us, poured out for us. And because of him, we have access to God. And so the ushers will lead you in the balcony down below to take bread and dip I want to thank you. For- every Sunday is an opportunity for us to repent, to repent. We don't repent to obtain the grace of God. We repent because we've already received the grace of God. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so I want to just close your eyes for a moment, and we'll pray the prayer of confession after we do this. But uh, between you and the risen Jesus, who is alive, sits at the right hand of the Father, just offer up your own uh the silence of your own heart your own confession and repentance before him lord you've seen all the ways that i've let myself just go astray help me to ground me in yourself and whatever that looks like let's do that for a moment and then we'll pray this prayer of confession but let's begin through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Let's take it together. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left, your right. Maybe today you feel like you've been drifting away from God. Maybe this past week you feel far from God. Maybe lost at sea, looking for an anchor to bring you back to shore. And our prayer uh, team really serves as an anchor, as a lifeline to bring you back to the shore of God's love and His grace. And for some of you today, maybe... Your entire life, you've been lost at sea. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never grounded yourself in his love. You've been just drifting. Today, uh, there's a lifeline that's thrown out to you. Jesus wants to rescue you, to forgive you, to offer you a new life. And so if you've never made a decision to say yes to Jesus, to say, I want to ground myself in his love, we have a prayer to you here for whatever situation you have. And we'd love to pray for you. As we close, I would invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. So, with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may.